0: Welcome back to the Fearless Fly, episode 29, where we're going to be talking with cabin crew and going to be talking to them about their training and what's involved there. I'd like to welcome my co-host, James. How are you, James? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's good to be
1: back. It's been, been a while, so it's good to get back on the podcast.
0: Yeah, that's good. And uh, you'll notice for those regular listeners, um, we said we were going to do a podcast every two weeks, but our workloads have significantly increased over the last number of months. So we're actually going to reduce the last eight episodes to once every month, releasing them on the first of the month. So instead of two a month, just one a month. So as we said in this episode, we're going to be talking all about cabin crew. And we'll be discussing with them their training. And we're fortunate enough to have two wonderful guests um, that I interviewed. And one was a cabin crew trainer who was a full-time cabin crew with the airline and became a full-time cabin crew trainer. And the other is a very experienced purser. And we had a little short interview with him at the end of the episode. And we'll talk about uh, how he deals with passengers who
1: have anxiety, etc. cetera.
0: Do you want to talk about the previous episode, what we discussed, James?
1: Yeah. So in the previous episode, we were just discussing air traffic control, the different types of communications uh, between people on the ground and you guys, pilots in the air, just how they can communicate between each other. Yeah.
0: In addition to that, which we didn't talk about then, there was another form of communication I thought about the other day. I was watching someone flash a light at someone. There is actually lights that the tower can flash at an aircraft to give landing clearances or not landing if they had a complete uh, loss of comms failures and the color like green is for you're cleared to land, reds don't land, and et cetera, et cetera. So there is another form of communication that we didn't put in there. But anyway, that's not what this episode is about. It's about cabin crew. And James wasn't around for uh, this interview with Kate due to a time zone difference, but I was able to interview Kate. Let's get into it and have a listen to what Kate says about cabin crew training and what's involved. I would like to welcome a special guest on this episode uh, who was a cabin crew trainer with the airline I'm with and we've dedicated this episode to cabin crew. So welcome, Kate.
2: Hello. Thank you, Grant. It's so nice to be here.
0: Yeah, it's lovely to have you. Just quickly for our listeners, a little bit of background about you. If you want to talk a little bit about yourself and what got you interested in uh, cabin crew training.
2: Yeah, so I am originally from South Africa and I had absolutely zero desire or intention to ever land up being cabin crew. I was not one of those people who was from a young age going, oh, I can't wait to do that. So mine was purely by chance, actually, that I landed up being crew and I had the most amazing experiences and I worked, I moved to Dubai in 2008 and began flying and had just the most wonderful time, and met the most beautiful people, and travelled to the most fabulous places, um, and really enjoyed being crew. But also knew that that was not that was not the end of the road for me. And I was very interested in training, and so it was a very early goal for me actually to get into cabin crew training, and something I worked very hard to do, and eventually was successful. And spent seven years. Um, in the safety and emergency procedures department, training cabin crew. And that for me was the absolute highlight of my aviation career. I loved it.
0: So, seven years there. And uh, do, is there like a ranking system where you start off like as a junior trainer and you work up, or are you all pretty much on the level right from the start?
2: Um, oh, you know, like everything in aviation, there is this <laughs> like a picking order and there is different levels to things. So yeah, when I first started, I started as a part-time trainer, which means Mm. I still got to keep my flying license. So a lot of crew choose to do that because they really enjoy the balance of flying and training. Um, For me personally, I didn't need my flying license anymore. (laughs) I I kept it, but I spent 99% of my time on ground in college training because I loved it so much. By the time I left there, I was a training specialist for them, which was fantastic.
0: Oh, that's great. So for someone that's thinking of becoming a cabin crew, so they've got no previous experience, what's involved in the training and how long would all that take your initial training from someone joining from scratch to getting on the line as cabin crew?
2: Yeah, I think, you know what, people, I have no idea what they are in for when they come for the training. So many people have this amazing dream and desire to be cabin crew. And once they get the job, they're already like, their minds are already on the beautiful hotels they're going to be in and all the travel, and they forget about this training. They know it's going to happen, but they just don't think about what's involved. And it's actually so much. It's incredibly intensive. As you can imagine, we're taking people from – all over the world who have, many of them, never been on a flight before or have never been cabin crew before, and turning them into some of the world's best cabin crew. So, The whole process from the moment that they arrive, and this is always so interesting for me, is that cabin crew can arrive um, into Dubai and be told like, okay, tomorrow morning at 6am, the bus is going to come and pick you up and you're going to be at training college and that's it. That's the start of your training journey. So there's very little um, settling in time. You really hit the ground running, so to speak. And the whole process takes about six to seven weeks uh, and you start off with an induction team. so you get a little bit of the background about the airline and what is expected of you, how your um, training is going to progress. And then you would come straight to my department, which was the safety and emergency procedures department. And there we would train crew on everything, how a door operates on an aircraft to how a fire extinguisher operates on an aircraft to, to putting out fires to, oh my goodness, dealing with so many things. And it's incredibly intensive. And for a lot of people, it's like learning a brand new language as well. Mm. Um, and it's it can be really tough for people who are English second language speakers, because now you're learning everything in English and it's a whole new lingo as well.
0: Yeah. And just to add to that there, if you have uh, multiple different types of aircraft, from a pilot's perspective, mm. we just train on one one type of aircraft, but from cabin crew, you could have two or three different types of aircraft in a fleet, and you must know all the procedures on each aircraft, which can be actually different, even the way the doors operate, I gather.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so that's the thing. As the airline, we were flying Boeing and Airbus, but then under Boeing, there were about three or four different configurations. And under Airbus, uh, originally when I started, there were many different Airbus, and now it's only the 380. But yeah, the training for those is completely different. Some of the language is different. Um, And yeah, there's just, it's so intense, the amount of work that the crew have to work through and they manage. I mean, there's a lot of support. That's what the trainers are there for, but it's often overlooked just how intense this process actually is. Yeah.
0: And a lot of testing I'd imagine throughout that whole process.
2: Oh yeah, there's no time for you know. There's no time for um, for rest. Really, it's we finish this aircraft today. We do the exam for that. That's great. And the very next day, we're starting the next one. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: sound. You sound like a hard taskmaster, Kate. Do you have like a whip that with <laughs> a whip to keep them in, in order?
2: <laughs> I feel like some of my past pupils would be a better reflection of that.
0: <laughs> well done. So now that you've finished your training and you're um, flying on the line as a cabin crew, what do you have to do throughout the year to keep your license current?
2: Yeah, so of course it's a safety uh, related position, you know, being cabin crew. It's not just what everyone else sees where you're just walking up and down the aisles and you're just chicken or beef and you're just traveling all over. Like, mm. yes, that is the perks and it's amazing. But your job as cabin crew is to get everybody safely from point A to point B. So ensuring that the cabin crew keep their licenses current and keep their information up to date is something that we do on a daily basis. So every time that the crew would go for a flight, there is a uh, a little portion of the briefing where each crew member is actually asked a safety-related question. Mm-hmm. And this is just to ensure that the cabin crew are keeping themselves up to date. And it gives a little bit of reassurance to the other crew and to the seniors on board the flight. It just indicates that, okay, this person is taking their job seriously. They're keeping the information up to date. That's great. They are fit to operate this flight today. And then over and above that, the cabin crew are also removed from their flying rosters for two days out of the year and they go back to the training college and they undergo a refresher of sorts where they are retested on everything required in order to keep their licenses current. So it's everything from safety and emergency procedures to security, to medical and CRM as well.
0: We're part of the element as well. We get to spend a few hours with the cabin crew during that period as well, which is really interesting. It's good to have the to chat to Cabin Crew about what we're doing and and for us to understand what you guys are doing as well, because sometimes, as we know, when we're taking off, you guys aren't that busy. We're very busy, but during the cruise, it's the other way around. So it's about workload management and understanding each other's job. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah
2: yeah and it just gives um you know the two different groups, the the flight crew and the cabin crew, just such a nice chance to to really share what they're mm. going through and to get each other's perspectives on things. And I just think, yeah, that's so important.
0: Yeah, yeah. what's the uh, what would be the best and worst elements of the job from your perspective? This is not training, but actually being cabin crew.
2: Well, the best is, of course, that you get paid to travel the world and you stay mm. in beautiful hotels and eat in amazing restaurants and get to have just the most glorious experiences. For me personally, that was my absolute favorite thing. And then the worst elements of being cabin crew. Uh, are, night voice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is <laughs> this this crazy concept of, I mean, sleep just becomes such a luxury. And sometimes you would have to go to work at midnight and you would stay awake essentially for hours and hours and hours. Um, And you'd have to deal with really difficult passengers sometimes. And in those moments when you are so tired and you're so exhausted and to try and keep your cool and to still manage situations professionally. And even with other cabin crew, you know, when you go for a flight, you're meeting new people every single day. So it's about having a level of like self-mastery and self-management that you are able to, you know, be your best self in situations when you are actually being tested as well. And that side of things is really, it can be very, it can be very isolating. Cabin crew, life can be very lonely. You miss out on lots of like birthdays and Christmases that side of it is so difficult, but it really does balance out with the the best elements of it.
0: Yeah, that's good. Now we're talking about uh, this podcast is for people that have anxiety towards flying in all different hmm. uh, different areas and it's not just like turbulence, it's understanding. There's a whole lot of issues that people have. But from your perspective, uh, when you used to fly, could you pick out nervous flyers like people that you know were anxious of some element of flying?
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You can easily spot them and many of them will actually tell you that I'm a nervous flyer, which I always think is so precious. It's like, yes, thank you for sharing that and putting you on my radar so that now I can make sure that I'm here to reassure you. But if they didn't tell you, yes, you could normally spot a nervous flyer just by the body language. Um, You know, their hands would often be wringing their hands together, um, looking around anxiously. Yeah, even the, the color of their face would change either to very pale or very red. They might be very sweaty. So yeah, it was semi-easy to spot them.
0: Yeah. And that's experience as well. I remember in my old airline, when we had new cabin crew join that, they become so aware of people. They're very good at the experience of meeting so many people. They can pick these things up very quickly. So experienced cabin crew will work out that you're, you've you got some form of anxiety. And, and like you say, people shouldn't be scared to tell you, and, and at least you can you reassure them. So what would you recommend to put their minds at ease or reduce their anxiety?
2: Yeah, so there are certain things that you can do to reduce your anxiety when it comes to flying. One of those that I've always said, and I've used myself, because I used to be a very nervous flyer, which yeah. is so funny to people to know that they're not landed up being cabin crew, but... Prior to being cabin crew, I was incredibly nervous. And so one of the things that I would do is I would always try and book a seat as close to cabin crew as possible. Because cabin crew, you can see on board an aircraft, they know what's happening. They are in charge up there. And there is a level of comfort that you receive as a passenger when you see the cabin crew maintaining their cool under any situation. Mm -hmm. So I always recommend to people, just try and book a seat where you have a visual of a cabin crew, because that in itself, when you hear a little like a little bang, or there's like a little bit of turbulence, which is all so normal during a flight. But when you see those things, if you are nervous, your mind and your body convince you that they are way worse than they actually are. So if you have a visual of somebody who actually knows about aviation and knows what's happening and you look at them and you see that to them, this is just a normal day in the office and they are fine, that gives you this sense of just calm and allows you to just feel a bit more relaxed in that situation. But then there are other techniques. If you are an incredibly nervous flyer, um, then there are certain things that you can do. You can work with a coach, like this is the type of work that I do with people. And I've just worked with a client this last week, actually, who has been so nervous to fly. She had a really bad case of turbulence about 18 months ago and has been unable to get on an aircraft since. And she was actually at the point where she kept booking flights and then getting to the airport, and she would stand in the check-in queue, and it would come to her turn, and she would just have to turn around and be like, I actually cannot get on this flight. So it was costing her a fortune, because you don't get your money back when you do that. So we worked together, and there's a technique called EFT which is emotional freedom technique tapping. And it works a little bit like acupuncture or acupressure, but you essentially are tapping in affirmations into your body on these various pressure points. And it's like you almost form this mantra for yourself. And then you're able to use it before your flight, while you're getting on the flight, during takeoff, et cetera. And it's just that you are constantly tapping in this positive affirmation and calming yourself and reminding yourself that you are actually still safe. And I share that story because for the first time in 18 months, this client of mine actually caught a flight the other day and she was just so happy and so proud of herself. And it's just opened up so many doors for her because you can imagine for 18 months, not being able to travel anywhere. So now, yeah, she's booking flights all over the world and getting ready to get back at it.
0: That's wonderful. So now you've stopped being involved in the cabin crew and their training, but you're using that experience to develop your own business. What are you involved with? Because that sounds really interesting what you're doing.
2: Yeah. So I am a coach. And as I said, I'm a clinical hypnosis practitioner, EFT practitioner, time techniques, NLP practitioner, all sorts of things. So my business involves helping people essentially in all different aspects. So my business has evolved in many different ways as well. So I do work with people that are nervous or anxious in various aspects of their life, whether that comes around from public speaking or flying or being fearful to show up in their business or fearful to ask for promotion and they're scared to show up at work. So I help, um, I help my clients with that.
0: And the EFT thing uh, sounds really interesting. So if our listeners want to follow that up and you're happy, Kate, I'll put a link into the show notes to your website and your podcast so if they want to uh, follow up on that that'll be in the show notes
2: absolutely the best place to find me is on instagram that's where i spend most of my time so anyone can find me there at coach.me.kate
0: sounds good and i'll put that link uh, for you in the show notes uh, for your website your podcast and your instagram link there as well so people can have a look at that if they want
2: perfect yeah sounds great
0: Kate, thank you very much for taking your time to talk to us on the uh, Fearless Fire podcast. And I wish you very well in your endeavors and appreciate your time.
2: Absolute pleasure. It was so nice to be here. Thanks, Grant.
0: So that was the interview with Kate. James, unfortunately, you weren't there to be with us on that discussion, but you've had to listen to it. What did you think about it?
1: Well, they obviously do a lot more safety related training than people probably give credit for. I did think. The six weeks of training, I thought it was going to be a lot longer. If you think about that. that's not very long at all. That's a month and a half. You can go from just a civilian as such to being a full-time cabin crew member yeah. uh, in a major airline.
0: Yeah. Uh, I will say, though, it is very intensive training. They are in the cabin crew training center for long days
1: on a row. And, uh, yeah, it is fairly intense. And they do have a lot of exams, assuming they're both a mixture of uh, physical and practical exam, of oh, practical and uh, theory exams. I feel like she's mentioned the same sort of theme that was seen throughout the whole of this podcast of the people being scared by similar things, like turbulence or bumps or whatever, and having similar reactions to what we've heard from other people in the past. And yeah, it's quite interesting here hear about her new uh, adventure with the EFT in her business. And I hope that all goes well for her.
0: Yeah, the cabin crew, they get some wonderful skills from their training. And uh, it's people's skills and how to relate to people and how to read people. They're very good at it because obviously they're meeting people all the time and they're dealing with people that are, have all types of issues in an aeroplane, whether that be anxiety, fear, drunken, disorderly, paranoid. There's a whole lot of fears and they relate to them. They're very good at reading people. And that's a skill that I know Kate's using very well in her new chosen path. Before we started this podcast, I was having a chat with a purser on a layover and he was very knowledgeable we had some great ideas. So I pulled out my iPhone and said, hey, let's have a little bit more of a chat because we're about to start this podcast with my wonderful son. And I would have liked to have got what he was saying recorded. So we had another conversation and I recorded it you'll pick up some interesting snippets out of there from a very experienced person. So here's that discussion with Greg I had quite a long time ago, and it's still prevalent now. So here it goes.
3: Greg, how <laughs> long have you been flying for? Uh, I've been flying for about 20, 21 years. And did you yeah. come to the airline we're with now, did you? Uh, yes, yeah. I did. Oh, yeah. sweet. That's, that's how so I how started. How many years have been 20 here? 20 years. 20, 20 years. years now with the same airline. And how long have you been a person for? I've been a person probably around 12 years. 12 years. You enjoy yeah. it still? Yeah, it's good. Cool. Every, every day brings its own uh, challenges, its own entertainment, yeah, its yeah. own uh, positives. So quite quite dynamic.
0: Yeah. So tell me, like, this is a Fairer Flying podcast, and we had a chat about it before, but you've obviously worked with people, like passengers, you've seen them. Are they pretty easy to spot? Like if you see someone that's, when they're getting on the airplane, do you get a sense that they're not happy or any signs that are, that are similar?
3: Yeah, look, I would say, um, even before somebody would say that they have a fear of flying or some type of phobia, um, it's very clear in their their body language and facial expressions that something is off. And sometimes people will uh, tell you basically, you know, I'm not sure about the aircraft, I don't like to fly, I try not to fly, and I don't handle the turbulence well. And sometimes people won't say anything and you'll only see it later during the flight, possibly when there is a turbulence or something like that. So It's easy to pick up that someone is uncomfortable. In my experience, normally people are open about not being happy to fly or uncomfortable to a certain extent, but sometimes it comes out under pressure, for example, Mm -hmm. pressure for them, relatively speaking, uh, episodes of turbulence, for example.
0: What type of symptoms do you see in them? Because obviously you're not near them, but you can see the expressions on their face. What type of symptoms would you be seeing with them during, like, say, a turbulence episode?
3: You could see anything from worry to concern to even downright fear. Yeah. colour of someone's face changing. And then uh, sometimes you'll see people gripping their armrests or even trying to call out to crew or call out to someone they see as in authority, for example, to get some type of reassurance.
0: What would be like a scenario that you've had where someone's really, really lost control to an extent because of the fear of flying?
3: Yeah, look, I would have to say it was a uh, it was a lady, middle aged lady on one of our uh, turnarounds around the region. She was basically emotional, would be to put it uh, mildly. She was beside herself. She was uh, very focused on the turbulence. There was turbulence at that time. She was not really listening to those around her because she had almost passed that stage. Mm-hmm. She was gripping the seat, she was gripping me, she was pulling me around. She, it almost seemed that she didn't realize what she was doing because she was really so scared. She didn't know what to do. She was looking out the window. She was looking at other places in the cabin. Um, obviously, am obviously dealing with someone who's not objectively looking. It's just mm. everything is based on fear and worry and lack of control about what mm. could happen. And that was very, very difficult for me. The only way is being calm about the situation, trying to get that person to focus on you, trying to get that person to calm down and let them know, which is obvious for us, but uh, let them know that we are in the same situation as them in the same aircraft, yet we understand some of the variables of flying and that if we're calm, it means they have the ability to be calm as well.
0: So you want them to feed off you type thing. That's right.
3: right. For me, that's always worked very well. What I actually would say and what I normally say is people want to know that you haven't forgotten about them and that you are thinking of them. That's number one. Number two, every so often if you're able to or someone else is able to go and check up Mm -hmm. on them and just see how they are, that gives somebody reassurance. What I also say is we may very well or we are going to have some turbulence at some stage during the flight. If you let people know what they could expect, then they can, in their own way, prepare for it. Yeah. So what I would normally say is, look, we're going to have some turbulence on this flight. This is what's forecast. Besides what's forecast, there could be, for example, wake turbulence or clearing turbulence. It could happen at any time. Mm. It's very normal. It is going to happen at some stage. I will normally say, look at the crew during this time. And I say, if I'm around and I'll make sure that when we have turbulence and I'm going to come back to you, you're going to see, look at people's face. If the crew are okay and walking around is normal and they've got regular expressions and the body language is the same, it's a proof that this is all extremely normal for us Mm. and we have it every single day and that there really isn't anything to be worried about. Then at least you appeal to not only the words, but you appeal to the emotions and you give them an example to follow. Yeah, that's interesting
0: that you said that because you said that to prepare them for a flight, there will be turbulence. And I mean, realistically, every flight we have turbulence. Yeah. There's always some form, whether yeah. whether it's weight turbulence on approach or even just a little minor bit, which for them is probably a massive bit of turbulence. Have you had people get on the airplane and tell you straight, I just don't like flying? Do you get that very often?
3: Sometimes, yes. And that can be pr- quite helpful because you know about the problem early. And you can take steps. Sometimes people may expect uh, to have somebody sit with them for the flight or spend time with them or hold their hands, which is not always realistic. But at least from the word go, even before you started moving, you know that that person has a fear. And part of the reason they've told you is that they want some type of reassurance and some type of attention. So um, then at least you can inform your colleagues and one of your team, if not you, at different times can help. And them telling you that they're fear of flying, do they tell you what they're fearful of, or they just say, I've got a fear of flying? Some people will don't really, however strange it seems, they don't really know what they are scared of, or they don't know how to verbalize it. Mm-hmm. And some people, on the other hand, will come and say, I don't like the turbulence, I don't like the vibrations, and when the aircraft goes left and right, I don't understand what's happening. In the second scenario, it's much easier because you can give some explanation Not too complicated because that person is already emotional. But some people can figure out and specifically mention and verbalize what part of the whole experience that they are not happy with.
0: From my research that I'm looking at, and I don't know whether this might back up what you're saying, the main things I think people are scared of is One, no control, in other words, also not knowing what the control was about. Yes. Um, And the other thing is turbulence. So those two seem to be the highlight of what people are concerned about mostly with regard to flying. I guess if you're sitting in a bus, everyone knows it's like a big car, isn't it? Yeah. And they can look out the window. They know that the bus driver just turns the wheel left, it's going to go left. But an airplane's like, well, you can't see out the window most of the time. And how the hell does this thing fly? You know, it gets a bit uh, disconcerting. So have you had any funny experiences with people during turbulence or things that have actually turned into a bit more of a humorous side rather than obviously the negative side that people have with regard to flying?
3: Uh, In terms of people uh, scared of flying or or uncomfortable, sometimes emotions take over and I've had people crying or or people Mm. shouting or screaming out. Um, I remember a football team once and one of the guys was uh, not happy with flying unfortunately his teammates were not that empathetic with him (laughs) at all and he was uh, screaming some of the time so anyway you know his teammates were good in the end and even though they didn't really understand it it ended well it was uh, turned into something humorous even though it was tough for the guy
0: when i took my son to new zealand from england we were crossing over the equator and it gets bumpy in the pacific sometimes and uh he was laughing his head off during turbulence and we were getting knocked around a fair bit yeah. and there was people behind him praying and that. And then it just went all calm and then he just starts shouting at the top of a voice, more turbulence, Dad, more turbulence. <laughs> and this person's going keep your son quiet. It's like, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a big rollercoaster. And I yeah. guess that kind of like sums up where a kid doesn't really understand it, where we're kind of like programmed, aren't we? Like we aren't meant to fly. And I look back at him thinking, he had no idea. You see, people kind of get programmed, kind of like a pre-programmed thing. There's an age at which you develop this fear of flying. So it's really interesting. But I'll never forget my son shouting out the top of his head, this is fun, Dad, why want more? I don't think the lady behind us wants any more. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I suppose it's also related to the element of control. And kids and, and children, they don't have the control. and Their view of life is different yeah. once you're an adult. It's almost like you're supposed to have the control and be responsible. Mm -hmm. And in a case like that, if your brain tells you you're not in control, then it becomes an issue. For me, that's part of the reason why I try to prepare people for what is going to happen or may happen over Mm -hmm. the next few hours to give them that element of control back. Yeah. So that Mm -hmm. when something happens, they can think and say, oh, he did tell me that this would happen. Yeah. And they get at least some of that element of control. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the situation.
0: I think you're right. The passengers seeing uh, the cabin crew, who have been doing it for years, yeah. and it, it is a calming influence upon people that are worried. Well, that's really good, mate. Thanks very much for that information. That's probably you're pretty welcome. good there. Happy flying. We're going flying
3: tomorrow. We are. We are. <laughs>
0: so that was the discussion with Greg, a senior purser with the airline I'm with quite some time ago. What did you think of that interview, James?
1: Yeah, he had the same sort of ideas as Kate when it comes to they can – see nervous passengers so obviously the training they get with the airliners and the experience they get uh, really built helps them as you just mentioned see nervousness in passengers uh, even if they don't mention they're scared of flying i thought it interesting that he was mentioning that uh he doesn't lie to them like when he does pas he'll just tell them that is turbulence which i feel is quite good because obviously then they can preemptively think about what they can do i guess yeah We have to be very careful because if you say there's going to be
0: moderate turbulence and it doesn't happen, you've also instilled a panic into a passenger straight away before you even left, and to the point that someone's scared of flying might even want to get off the aeroplane. We have all this information, as we've discussed in previous episodes, about prospective turbulence during the flight, and it's analysed on the ground. We fly around the turbulence. We plan flights around the turbulence. So it's never as bad as we think it's going to be. And like I said before in a previous episode, we've got all this information from other aircraft, air traffic control, et cetera, to avoid turbulence. So the reality is you're in the air, you will get some form of turbulence, but we would never plan to fly through moderate to severe turbulence if we could avoid it. Going across the Andes, which I've discussed before, We know we're going to get turbulence going across the Andes. And I would say that in my pre-flight briefing that we're expecting turbulence crossing the Andes and the passengers expect that anyway. So they know that and they're comfortable with that. But for you as a person with anxiety about something like turbulence or flying, we can't tell you a whole lot of things in our PA what's going to happen. But as Greg said, hey, we might get some turbulence during the flight and he's right. So yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was a good summary with Greg and it's been a great podcast talking to both Kate and Greg, looking at the next episode, episode 30, and we'll be talking about licensing and talking about pilot recency training and the uh, biannual simulator checks. So thank you very much to your ears for listening. We look forward to talking to you in the next episode and from James. Have a good day. Uh, It's been a pleasure and we'll
1: talk to you again soon.